Hello there again. This is Jeff Benjamin, along with my colleague, Bruce Kelly, co-hosting the Investment News Podcast. We have a special guest this week, Patrick Mahoney, the new CEO of the Financial Planning Association. First of all, how you doing, Bruce? How's uh, how's everything treating you? You got your Christmas shopping, holiday shopping all done? As a matter of fact, the tree is up and the shopping is supposed to be delivered from Amazon tomorrow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. All right. The kids ain't getting much, but, you know, what they're getting is church, as they say, you know. Yeah, so, they, well, they get what they deserve. That's what yeah. I believe, you know. So, All right. All right. So uh, let's bring on uh, Mr. Mahoney. How you doing there, sir? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Patrick. Hey, fellas. Hey, thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for taking the time. Just newly announced. I know you were been interim CEO for a few months over there at the FPA, but it's going to be official January first. You taking over? Maybe you could just introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us who you are, what your background is. I I think your background's a little bit unique, coming from let me see. Most recently, the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, where you were there for nine years. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Patrick. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it has much to do with financial planning. So I, my resume is, a, is admittedly a, a little unique. I have a blend of for-profit and not-for-profit executive management experience. So for a long time, I worked on Wall Street at Standard & Poor's. So that was a 100% immersion in financial services. And then at the top, at the crest of the credit crisis, I got recruited to go to IEEE, which is a not-for-profit very similar to the FTA, just a different, it's a not-for-profit focused on supporting engineering. This is a not-for-profit focused on financial planning, but the running of an association engaged in the mission, that was the consistent theme. And I was there for nine years. So for a span of, you know, what, 21 years, a lot of it was in the financial services industry. And then, the, on, and then a big chunk of it was in association management. Patrick, what were you doing at Standard & Poor's? Standard & Poor's, I started as a product manager back in 1998. They had a product for which they used to market residential mortgage-backed securities. Right. And this was a method by which the brokers could gauge what they called at the time loss-back coverage. And it was a model that was developed by S&P internally. And the idea was that if they got the industry using it, it would make the achievement of and the management of the ratings process a little bit easier. And it also helped with thought leadership and S&P's part in getting the, the message out about their criteria. I did that, turned that around. And then I got I just started moving up the line and the management took over broader products. Along the way, I guess people happen to notice I'm a pretty good manager of teams. So I was put in operation, ratings operations there towards the very end. And I wasn't looking to leave. I was quite happy. But I got a call from one of the larger recruiters. And S&P was, or pardon me, IEEE was looking for a chief marketing officer. Right. In their lingo, a marketing officer encompassed product management, product development, sales, and the conventional approaches to marketing, branding, and whatnot. It was a new position for them. I had a really strong resume on terms of marketing, product management, sales, and whatnot. So it was kind of a nice fit. And then I was there for a long time, for nine years. And then I got a call from a recruiter who was representing FPA, and they were looking for an interim CEO to help out for a couple of months. And I was intrigued by it, 
partly because of this blend of financial services and association management that I had. So on the face of it, it might look like I was an unconventional choice, but um, as I think everybody came to appreciate, I had more affinity for it than people might have appreciated. I didn't. I, I took the role fully intending to stay temporarily. But what happened was I fell in love with FPA. I got a real appreciation for the financial planners and their industry, what makes them tick. I began to see what the opportunity could be for the association. I was astonishingly impressed with the caliber of our members and the chapters that we serve. And when and we can talk guys a little bit more about where I see the opportunities coming, but I began to see that there, the glass here was half full, not half empty, and there was a way forward. And the more I got into it, it's been seven months now, and the more I got into it and helping them get through a budget for next year and helping them make some decisions on people and processes and things, the more intrigued I became and uh, I, it got into my blood, the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I'd like to hear about what you see as opportunities and and your objectives, Patrick. But also, I mean, you came in at a time when there was an an abrupt departure by uh, your predecessor, Lauren Shadle. I don't know if you even met her or knew her, but you know she was there for quite a while. She had been in the, she had actually been a part of the predecessor organization, the Institute for Certified Financial Planners, all the way back to 1996. A long history there, but uh, one thing that was kind of, unfortunately, it's associated with her as the, the shrinking membership. We know the number of financial advisors is growing, but the FPA is down to, I think, around 21,000, and uh, it was at 23.5 or something like that when, when Lauren took over in 2012. Is membership a big priority of yours going forward, and you know, how do you plan to tackle that if it, if it is a big priority? Maybe it's not a big priority. I don't know. Yeah, and if I could just interject something, Patrick, too. Just a, Jeff has covered the FPA and the organizations much more closely than I have, and Mark Chef has too. I cover more the general brokerage industry, but it all I have to kind of agree or underscore what Jeff said there. It just seems to me the FBA isn't as important or noteworthy or noted, perhaps, in the industry as some other organizations are now. The Financial Services Institute and and some of the other ones. I'm just kind of curious. As you, as an outsider, your perception of of that and and how that jibes with what Jeff said about the about the membership not growing. So it's I appreciate the questions. They're spot on. They are the same questions I asked myself when I was debating whether I wanted to do this or not. It was the questions I've asked over the last few months. Full time or do as the interim back in the summer. Back in the summer, and as we were looking at different, but then I had to have that conversation with myself when I decided whether I wanted to do this permanently or not. I, I think, in all candor, maybe FPA lost its way a little bit in terms of we can do a much better job of reminding people of our relevance to their careers. When you look at the at the lifespan, the career lifespan of a practitioner? Are we as relevant as we could be in those different stages? Similar to a financial planner when they're working, my own financial planner, when they're working with me, the things that were important to me in my 20s and 30s are are less important now than at this stage of my life. And as I get older, that's going to change. It's the same thing for a membership organization. You have to be relevant and responsive to a member at every chapter of her life along that spectrum as a planner. 
And I don't know that we had that kind of resolute focus on mission as we should have. The positive side is that our retention rates are, are pretty high. They stayed in the high People state. Oil. They're very loyal. They stay with the organization. They re-up and they renew. They make it clear you know, what their expectations of service are. And sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. But we really need to take a, a business focus to FPA. What do the members want? What are their expectations of service levels? Are they getting the products and services that they need? And for me, and for the next year or so, at least the next year, probably the next 18 months, it's going to be a very resolute laser-like focus on membership. Well, you picked a really fascinating time. I'm just thinking, again, Jeff has covered this much more closely than I have. But just in, again, my perception of the industry, Jeff and I have both covered the industry and been at Investment News for, for a very long time. It seemed like the credit crisis, 2008, 2010, 11, it was such a shock. I don't know if the FPA responded appropriately to it or not. That just might be my bias where it just caught everybody by surprise, you know, and it was so protracted. I don't know if that was a watermark for the organization, but it just seemed like post credit crisis, you just didn't hear about the FPA as much as you did before the credit crisis. And now you're dealing with this pandemic crisis, <laughs> right? So you started at like one of the craziest times on Wall Street or just in financial the financial planning and advice business that you could ever pick. Well, let's take that apart. That's a lot to unpack. But <laughs> if I could boil it down to the essentials on the, on the one hand, let's think, let's look at the positive side. You, you have a huge generational transfer of wealth happening now, and that's going to continue over the next decade on both sides of that conversation that one generation to the next, they both have a need for financial planning, meaning that they have a need for really spot-on, savvy, and wise and shrewd financial planners to help them make good decisions. So it's never been a better time to be a financial planner. On the flip side, in terms of the challenges that we have, what financial planners really resonate with, particularly in the culture of FPA, is this sense of belonging. These folks really like to get together in person. They like to rub shoulders. They like to, to jawbone, think about ideas. Well, the local chapters um, are so strong, right? I mean, that's the local that's, chapters are exceptionally strong, and uh, they're really they're they're wonderful examples of how to do it right. And I think we need to get back to basics on that. That's just been challenged by the fact of a pandemic. So last year, uh, or pardon me, in this year, we canceled all of our in-person events in 2020, which was a major hit culturally let alone financially. And that's going to continue into 2021 until the public is traveling willingly again. And God willing, the vaccine takes hold and people feel confident again. But I, I personally think we're not going to, this is going to be pretty much the status quo for all of us through probably the 4th of July. And then we're going to get a pretty good sense of how things are going. We've planned for an in-person event in October on that basis. And I'm pretty confident that that's going to be good. But we, we have some, you know, we have some wood to chop, as my father used to say. What's the budget look like over there uh, at the FBA? I know everybody took a, 
like you said, it, it would be difficult to not to take a financial hit in 2020 of some sort. But I know you didn't have your big annual conference. You had no in-person gatherings, as you said. I was going to ask you about your annual conference next year. It sounds like you're at least tentatively on track for that. But can you give us a sense for what the financial hit and the budget looks like at the FBA as you take it over? Uh, so going into 2021, we budgeted for a, a surplus, which is the first in a long while. I don't want to get into the details on your show, but we we took a very close look at realistic revenue projections on revenue publications and membership in um, conferences. We did do a virtual conference uh, this year, uh, a couple about a month or so ago. That went really well. That was far more profitable than we. It was more profitable than we had budgeted for, and we were pretty conservative about that, given everything else that had gone down during the course of the year. So that showed me that there was resonance as well as relevance, and for FPA in terms of our folks, we had well over 800 people on Zoom for or, not, or the the platform that we use for hours on end, and I think that 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 told us that there was a thirst not only to convene, which has always been the power of FPA, but also there was a thirst for generating knowledge. And uh, we generated over a thousand continuing ed education credits for people, and, and which was on par with an in-person event that we had done in 2019. So that was another indication that we had found a way to do this that was more cost-effective than in the past, but at the same time was relevant to what people wanted as I move forward, as I often say to the folks on the board, as well as the folks who work for me, I'm all about the windshield, not the rearview mirror. So I'm less concerned about what people may or may not have done before my arrival. I'm more focused on what we're going to go do going forward. And so FPA enters 2021 in a very good financial position based upon some decisions that we made this year, which were tough to do, but nevertheless, we're required to do. And I think we're gonna, you're going to see some good things out of FPA. But the big thing for me is focusing on membership. You know, membership is two-thirds of our revenue, and it needs to occupy two-thirds of our time. And that means that we got to focus on the quality and the services of what we deliver, on the relevance to you at different stages of your career, and doing things like this podcast, actually, to raise the visibility of FPA to help advance the profession. I don't know that FPA did a lot of this kinds of stuff, but I'll come on as often as you'd like me to. How's that? Oh, good. That's great. The I guess if you could address the issue from, I think, 2019, where the organization intended to merge its different local chapters under one roof, the one FPA network. What is your thinking about that? And is that on the table again with you? Or is that going to be sidelined completely? It seemed like it, it kind of blew up. That plan kind of blew up on the FPA. Again, that was that's in the rearview window for me. What we have is what we call the 1FPA strategic initiative, which was looking at making sure the, the executive managers, the, the general managers who work for the chapters, we call them chapter executives. We've worked very hard. We put a program together to make them feel part of the national office so that we, we act in a coordinated fashion. So we focused on people, and then we focused on technology, and then we decided uh, to focus also on the financial angle, making sure that 
we were exercising the same due diligence on expenses and purchasing and making that available to the wider organization as best we could. You are correct. The the rollout was not well received back in 2019. Right. Uh, actually, I think some of those discussions actually started in the towards the end of 2018, if I'm if I understood it correctly. But when it was well, that speaks to the strength of the local chapters, though, right? I mean, that's that seems to be one of the real strengths of the organization. It does, and 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 they deserve to be. They they they've earned that, haven't they? Right. And they they uh, I think the relationship with the Nash between the national office and the chapters wasn't always as good as it could have been, and that's my job to help heal that issue, which I intend to do. And that would be so much easier if I could get on a plane and travel go see him, but that's not going to happen for a while. But getting back to one of PA, we we set up a beta test, which was a three year trial program. We're now in year two. And it focuses on how our staffing levels are across. We have ten, we have eleven participating chapters. Their chapter executives are in my town hall meetings with the staff. I meet with my folks every two weeks for an update on the organization and where we're going and how we're going to get there. I also listen to their feedback because they're closer to the ground than I am on what's working and not working. We've made some common threads on technology investments for those chapters. And we're working on streamlining the financial operation for those chapters so that their purchasing decisions are what that can be easier to do. At the end of three years, FPA is going to evaluate where we go. And that's going to be a community discussion across all of our chapters. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll land on the right place to do the right thing at the time. But right now, one FPA, the beta test, is a strategic initiative for, for the board of which I'm a non-voting member. And that's our that's going to be our focus to continue rolling that out in 2021 and 2022. Hey, hey Patrick, when you when you came on, did they uh were you kind of presented any particular mandates, things that the board is looking for, or even maybe your own goals, specific things? Uh, I know you said grow membership. What do you have any targets in that area? Well, when I joined as interim, my main focus from the board was to focus on a laser-like focus on the 1FPA initiative, the beta test, keeping that on schedule. They wanted me to stabilize the operation. That kind of change is can, can have a reverberating effect on not only the staff, but also on the chapters. And the one thing I've learned is that this industry likes to talk. And so you have to be, you, you, you need to be mindful of that. I learned that pretty early on. Well, they're independent people. That's the whole, they're, they're not, they're not independent. people. You, no, they're very independent. And a lot of them are up by their bootstraps and they should, and they get all the credit for that. I tip my hat to them. But I was to stabilize the operation and also to reassess the operation in Denver, what we could be doing more efficiently, how to go about it, how to go about it more effectively. And so that was my focus for the seven months I was here as the interim. And then in the middle of that course of our budget process, we had to get that lined up for 2021, which I did. Uh, and I took a, a inclusive approach to that. I didn't do that in a castle by myself. I got everybody involved, making sure that our projections and our both on revenue as well as expense were accurate and reasonable. I brought in a new CFO, Sandy Garcia who just started with us a couple, about a month and a half ago. So, you know, little by little, we're making some changes and some investments to make sure that we're giving good value to the members who, who privilege us with their membership dues. Any, uh, any planned changes to the dues? That's always a, a hot topic among our readers. 
Well, I'm not even in the job yet full time, so let's have that conversation. <laughs> give you. a break, <laughs> Jeff. Gee, no, no breaks. <laughs> I give you, I give you an A for effort. All right, hey, um, I, I want to ask you. There was a a little bit of a a, a flap this summer when uh, Skip Schweiss was announced as taking over as president in 2021. As as most people know, that's a that's a volunteer position. It's a one year position from usually people in the industry. Skip Schweitz, as you know, was at the time with TD Ameritrade. He's no longer with TD Ameritrade, and there actually is no such thing as TD Ameritrade anymore. But does that, and I know you don't want to look in the rearview mirror, Patrick, but this is kind of in the in the front of you starting next month. Does that, is that an issue at all anymore with Skip Schweitz not being with TD Ameritrade? No. No, not at all. And, and Skip has really invested a lot of his time and effort and uh, in helping to lead the organization. In fact, we just updated it yet late last night, but Skip earned his CFP. Oh, excellent. Just this month. So, oh, that's fantastic. So the, our leader of the organization has the designation and he's he has earned the respect of the uh, CFP board for going through that process and for all of us. I'm very proud of him and I'm privileged to lead with him. That's that's great to hear. And there you go. We're breaking some news here on the Investment News Podcast. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations so, um, to Skip. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, maybe we're going to have to get him on here. Yeah, we'll have to have him on. What about the uh, some of the challenges that you see kind of facing the financial planning industry in general? And and, and you know, I know that you're 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 kind of new to the industry, but you you seem like a quick study. So I got to imagine you you've kind of laid this out and looked at the big picture a little bit in the in the few months that you've been there as interim, right? Well, I I, I hope so. I'm, of course, I'm a, I'm a lifelong student, but I, I think the introduction of artificial intelligence, particularly on the brokers, is going to have an impact on people. You know, I was I was oh, fascinated. Oh. I was fascinated. One of my children, who's now working full time and out of school, she was on online with a broker that was a broker server, so I'm not going to mention the name, that was supplied by her employer. And the recommendations for allocation of investment was all generated by a bot. That's that since when her father did the same thing many years ago, that's not how we did it. But the her generation's comfort with technology, particularly artificial intelligence, her generation's preference for speed. That's something that we're going to have to get used to. I don't think it's going to it's going to be a sea change for the industry as a whole, but it is something that's not going to go away. So, how do you manage around that? How do you protect, how do you compel people to understand the value of a of a long talk, having an investment strategy, and and where you want to go with that, and the decisions that you have to make? As I said earlier about different stages of your life, you're not going to get that from a robot, in person or virtual. But that's something that we we have to to think about. Also, I think that the younger generation has a preference for faster decisions. And you see that now in our younger CFP certificates. We call them certificates, those that are in the CFP designation. The younger certificates who are starting out on their own or looking to start on their own, they bring a very different mindset to the game. They want things done faster and leaner with a bit more energy and and it's it, it it's going to be interesting to see how it it goes when you think about the conversations that are happening in the country with this transfer of wealth from one generation to another 
it's almost like you have two different sets of financial planners, one coaching the older set, one coaching the younger set. And where we've bridged that divide is a place where folks like FPA can be very effective. Anything in particular on your on your to-do list with regard to lobbying? I know there's a, obviously a lobbying presence for the FPA, but uh, is there anything in there that you're planning to focus on? So a big focus for me is going to be advocacy and especially on being an effective partner with the Financial Planning Coalition, which includes the CFP Board and NAPFA and, and FPA, and making sure that, that we are as an effective and supportive partner as we can be. One of the things that I'm going to be watching very closely is the election in Georgia, because if there is a majority of the Democrats controlling the Senate, that may have some barometric indicator of change for some of the issues that you know that the industry cares about. Um, although I don't think it's going to be substantially different from years past, because unless you have a veto-proof majority in the Senate, I think you're still going to have this this narrow divide. Hopefully, the temperature will get turned down a little bit going forward. What are some of those issues that you think would be maybe tilted or hanging the balance a little bit based on how the election in Georgia goes? You know, I, I think when, we, when you look at things like Reg BI, when you look at the regulation of the industry, how that might happen, what the pros and the cons, is it necessary to do? Is it effective representation for our planners? making sure that all of our planners' voices are heard on those topics and effectively represented. Those are the things that the bread and butter issues that affect the industry. I'm not looking for a, I'm not looking for an, and I, I don't believe FPA is going to be looking for an, an FPA-defined outcome for those issues. We're more focused on what's best for the industry to help move forward. But more on that later is the year, I guess we're all going to find out in a couple of days, aren't we? The I just have this one more question, and I, I don't know if Bruce has any others, but you had a virtual conference this year. You, it sounds like you're talking about having some version of an in-person conference next year. The FPA, right. I've attended your conferences for years, and they're big, and they're you know like they're among the biggest out there as far as annual conventions. Do you see going forward with some of these larger conferences kind of a marriage of the the virtual and the the in person because we've learned so much by the by the forced virtual environment that we're in this year? Yeah, I do. In fact, our conference a little bit of a plug for FPA. Our conference is going to be in Columbus, Ohio next year. Oh, fantastic. Yep. And I think what you're going to find is that the law large- of Ohio State Home of Ohio State, very good. And I think what's going to what we're go, we're all going to see is that the big massive conferences that we're used to in the past, I think they're going to begin to yield some ground to more of a regional approach, which is the approach that we're we're going to experiment with in October next in 2022. It's uh, we're not planning on the scale of what uh, FPA might have done in the past because we're kind of hedging against who might be willing to travel and who might not. So this more regional approach in an area that's equal, that you can reach within 500 miles of, of most of the country, um, that might be of a better approach. We'll find out. But I think that's – but I do believe that's going to be the trend. It's um, an unusual place to have a conference, Jeff, right? I can't remember. I, I don't 
I remember, you know, FPA has been all over the place, but I don't remember it ever being in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm not yeah. knocking Columbus, Ohio, even though oh, I'm I love from Columbus, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I was there several times. I used to have friends out there. So in my, in my other lifetime. So, so Patrick, it was a, it was a proximity decision middle of the country kind of thing or it was a, it was a proximity decision middle of the country columbus is a funny columbus is a much larger city than people give it credit for and it's within a 500 mile driving distance of three quarters of the country believe it or not and uh it's just a it seemed to be pretty it seemed to fit what we were thinking might work and we're taking advantage of the fact that we're going to have some really good partnership with the local chapter in columbus and uh, outside, and I think it's going to be a good thing. And the college campus is is wonderful. The Ohio State campus itself is huge and and a lot of fun. So there's a and lot of fun. You, and they have a lot of traditions, which are wonderful to see. Yeah, and it's a, this is a fall conference, right? So maybe you could. Man, wouldn't it be cool if it was on the weekend of a football <laughs> game? <laughs> University <laughs> of Michigan. <laughs> anyway. Although my mother may not forgive me if I cheer against Notre Dame. So let's be careful there. Uh Okay. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So any, uh, I guess you're not probably in the office, right? In, in, in Denver there, or are you? No, we're not. In fact, Denver, we, uh, we closed the office in, in late March because uh, Denver had initiated this uh, stay at home initiative. And since that, when I, when I arrived there in, uh, in early June, the office was effectively closed. I've since reopened it, but I'm not requiring people to show up. But we effectively went 100% remote, and we've been that way ever since. And unfortunately, in Denver, they it's 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 unsettling to see the the rate of positive infections and death. But we're seeing it all across the country lately. So I think this is going to be a status quo for some time. My big thing with my folks is I want them to be safe. And I want you guys to be safe. So, you know, wash your hands, don't touch your face, wear a mask, avoid large crowds. Because it's, you know, unfortunately, uh, I, I've known people, friends, of, I've lost friends. And, oh, I think, and it's it's awful to see. And, yeah. I know, and I know I'm not alone. And right. uh, I've had folks in the staff, unfortunately, that have gotten sick. So it's it's not it's not something to be treated lightly. So we are surviving pretty well going remote, and uh, I'm very proud of the team and giving everything else that they had to deal with in 2020. We had a plague, and everybody had to to quit going home, and we had to invest in technology to enable that. But the company kept ticking. The organization kept ticking. So Mm -hmm. I think we're going to be all right. You mentioned the one recent hire. Any other staffing changes there at the FBA? I mean, how many people, how many employees do you have there? We have 30 people. Okay. Well, any changes, any additions, or I mean, and don't get rid of Ben Lewis. Let me tell you, he's a he's a dream for a guy like me. He's <laughs> yeah, a, Ben's, Ben's he, a great guy, and uh, he makes my he, job a lot easier when he, I need uh, access. He put, he put us together, didn't he? Yes, he did. He set uh, this up. Yeah. So. You know, no, he's a very he's a very capable man, and about as good as they get, in in my opinion. I, I'm not, you know, we'll we'll see how we go. I'm going to invest where I need to to make sure that we're delivering the value to our members and moving the ball down the field to borrow an Ohio State analogy. Mm-hmm. And I think if if I have to make some decisions uh, in terms of raising our game, then I'm prepared to do that. And given our balance sheet, we're able to afford to do that. Okay. Are you originally from Massachusetts? I am not. 
But I am the grandson of Irish immigrants. I grew up in a three-generation household. And so I grew up with marketing and CAS. Okay. And things like that. So that's where it, it, I try to suppress it. My staff teases me. Uh, but it, it comes up every now and again. Well, I try and suppress my Irish accent as well, but um, I'm I struggle at times, especially when I'm when I'm eating my Lucky Charms. Oh but, boy! Uh, <laughs> all right, well, Patrick, I think we've uh, thoroughly grilled you, and I do appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. Uh, yeah, that was great. And, and thanks, thanks so much, Patrick, offering to come back because when big things are happening, we're gonna we're gonna drag you back in front of the microphone. Okay. I'm happy to help come see you anytime. Jeff, that was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. Of course, the podcast is posted every Monday, and we want to thank our special guest this week, Patrick Mahoney, the CEO of the Financial Planning Association. He officially takes over that role on January 1st. We also want to thank Stephen Lamb, our producer, and you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave a review on Apple. And follow us on Spotify. If you have any thoughts or ideas or questions, uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Jeff's handle is at Benji Ryder, and my handle is at BD News Guy. It's been, it's been a busy beginning to the holiday season here, and we'll be talking to you real soon. 